This is the Sleeper Hold Podcast. Welcome to the Sleeper Hold Podcast, where there's no disqualifications on the topics and falls count anywhere. I am your host, Priest, and we are continuing on with part three of the series, Behind the Curtain. But before we get to that, I want to bring up a few things to just keep us all on the same page. Since our last episode, it is now looking grim for Hulk Hogan, as he is now having a possibility of facing jail time for having inconsistent testimonies in his court cases. Honestly, I am not sure what I feel about all this anymore, and now I'm just going to shake my head and move forward. We also did lose a great legend in wrestling, the hot rod, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Love and prayers to his family and friends, as he is going to be deeply missed. SummerSlam is looking to be promising as a great pay-per-view, as always, with the various matches that are now unfolding. I'm honestly looking forward to seeing what people think will happen during this big show. Also, we recently saw that John Cena's nose was broken by a knee to the face from Seth Rollins, and now Rollins is claiming he wants a title-for-title match against Cena at SummerSlam. Now, Cena hasn't made any response as of now, but he is supposed to show up in tonight's episode of Tough Enough, so who knows, he might say something there. According to Triple H, the doctors are saying he's at a 50-50 if he'll even show up at SummerSlam. Speaking of Tough Enough, I am not happy with either save so far. I think The Miz is a complete idiot for saving somebody just due to their looks, and Paige, I felt like she went a bit soft on favoring a person when she saved Gigi. I'm sorry, but I looked at Sarah's slam, and she may not have done it perfectly, which they're in training for this, but at the same time, Gigi didn't have her body straightened out. It was a bit twisted in her own way from what I can tell. So it's not all on Sarah, if you ask me. I think that Sarah's now put on too high of a totem and too high of a bar from Paige. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But Gigi didn't keep her body straight, and she is just as much at fault as Sarah. As for the guys, I'm really kind of sad that Mata is gone, and I hope he gets a second chance behind the scenes. Well, honestly, right now, I don't know who I want to root for. I mean, Mata had the it factor. He had the personality. He had the athletic ability. He had everything going for him to where he, honestly, I could have seen him making it really big in the WWE. He had it all going. Tanner is still one of the most skilled competitors. That's probably because of his MMA history and the fact that he's a quick learner. But ZZ has the charisma that is really needed to connect with the fans. And honestly, going with ZZ here, he's finally showing something with that fire now lit under his butt. I'm just hoping that it's not too late for him this late into the show. As for the local friends and family here in my hometown... Pinfall Wrestling Association is moving to a new headquarters that is going to be much bigger, 
much better for them. So major congrats to PWA for that. Hats off to you guys. Here at the Sleeper Hole Podcast and Sleeper Hole Productions, we're also expanding for that matter. But I'm going to share a little bit more about that on the next episode. So now that we got all that out of the way, let's get ready to pull back the curtain on some things with part three of our series, Behind the Curtain. The first thing I want to have us lock up with is all about how the wrestlers make their presence known each and every show. There is a lot going on, and it's one of the key important parts of the show, if you ask me. So let's lock it up with a collar and elbow and talk about our first topic, entrances and introductions. Although the focus of the show is the story told in the ring with promos and wrestling matches, another part that is arguably one of the most important elements is the entrance. So many things are going on and are involved in giving us the desired effect and feel they are looking for in hopes to get us hyped up for what is about to unfold. It's a great spot to help the wrestlers get the reaction, or pop as it's called, from the fans, whether it's cheers or jeers. The most common element for entrances is having music to accompany the wrestler. It's claimed that Sergeant Slaughter started this trend by suggesting to Vincent McMahon Sr. for him to come to the ring with Marine's hymn playing in the background at the Great Madison Square Garden. In modern times, most of the songs are either authentic originals or they are a remake of another song with alternations like there'll be different syncs or lyrics or something like that. It's very interesting if you look at it, because if you pay attention, you'll catch those sometimes. Look at DDP, look at Raven, look at Degeneration X. I mean, some of them really, you could tell they're from other stuff, or at least they were inspired by other things. As for local talents, more often than not, though, they pick a song that they personally like or feel works well with their character, and they go from there. There are a few problems with this, and we will get to that, but the main thing about entrance music is that it blends with and complements the gimmick of the wrestler, and we're going to get to gimmicks here in a moment. Now, back to my mention of the independent wrestling world. So, what's so bad about them picking a song that they know from the radio or from a favorite album? What's so bad about that? Only one thing and one key word explains what's wrong with that. Royalties. If you're using a band's music without their permission and making money in any way, shape, or form in the process, not only can the wrestler get sued, but possibly the company, too. It's the whole thing of copyright and royalties. Now, don't get me wrong. Most of the time, the bands either don't know about it, they don't care since it's nearly free publicity and the talent doesn't make enough money to really cause any heavy impact, or they're just like, eh, whatever. It's, you know, small town boys. They're not thinking it's anything to worry about. If it was WWE, they may throw a fit. You know, if I had my way and was back into managing or running around in the shows, you better believe it. I'd be coming out to some Black Veil Brides. What song? Nah, I'm not sure yet. But hey, if somehow, some way, 
Black Veil Brides is hearing this, let's talk. I got a lot I would love to work with you guys on when it comes to your music and my gimmick. But let's get back to the rest of the information for the wrestler's entrance. Another great asset is to have a video screen, like how the WWE has their Titantron. What makes this so great is entrance videos. That is once more another area to set the mood and help assist new fans and to get to know the rest that they're about to see. Is it essential? No, but it definitely helps. You know what else helps? Lighting. Some people come out with lights dimmed or completely off, others with strobes or other colored lights. Some don't even bother with lighting at all. Again, this is all about one thing, setting the mood for the wrestler to connect with the fans. But we can still step this up with uh, other effects. Some superstars use fog machines and other devices, including pyrotechnics, like when you look at the WWE. Okay, think about this. The lights turn green and you get the feeling of the game, including former traits of his D-Generation X days. If the lights dim and turn to a dark blue and you see the fog begin to rise, you know it's The Undertaker, even without the legendary toll of the bells. From there, it's up to the wrestler, though, to keep the mood moving with how they act towards the fans how quickly or slowly they enter the ring, and even their behavior inside the ring. Don't believe me? Does anyone remember Raven from ECW, then WCW, and a little while in the WWE? You know, what about me? What about Raven? Well, what did he do when he got into the ring? He came inside, went to a corner, and slouched on the mat against his back against the bottom turnbuckle. That in itself said enough. And he also had this just snobbish personality. It worked so great. An entrance has so many elements, as we have listed, and it can easily help make or break a wrestler to the eyes of the fans, let alone make it easier or more difficult for them to win over the fans' affections if they are very new to the company. So what else is an important key element to the business and the wrestler? Something we mentioned earlier that is pretty much needing to be established before anything else outside of training. Moving from the lockup, we're going to cinch in a headlock as we talk about the wrestler's gimmick. Now the gimmick is, for lack of a better phrase, the way the wrestler is portrayed. is how they present themselves. It's what helps them tell their story giving them a larger-than-life persona. Still need an example? Look at The Undertaker. The dead man didn't just get that name out of luck. No, it's part of his gimmick. Just like Kane was given that about being a brother of Undertaker who came back from being believed to be dead after being trapped inside a terrible fire set by The Undertaker himself. Thus, the fiery background, the pyrotechnics the fire-like design on his original costume, the mask to cover the burns of the horrific persona, all of that was part of the gimmick. Gimmicks help create a wonderful catalyst to the story of the wrestler. Me? Your humble priest? Well, that's simple. If you want to know, it 
living from outside the ring of being priest, then you know that when I become priest, so to speak, I am nearly uncensored, arrogant, and all around pretty much an a-hole. But with that, I also lay on the charm, and when you put it all together, you get something so unique, so authentic, so unlike what you would expect, you get, you guessed it, me. You get someone who isn't going to sugarcoat with you, who is going to tell you exactly what he thinks to your face, and will also tell you who or what he thinks is great. You almost get a bit of a Paul Heyman out of me, for lack of a better phrase, since I'm going to tell you what matches or superstars I think are championship material or worth watching, as well as so much more. Maybe that isn't always a good thing, but hey, at least it's authentic and it's me. So, where did I get this idea? Well, let's look at my hero, Bret Hart. He was not really fake. He was genuinely himself. Even when they laid him into the anti-America angle, pro-Canada, he was still being himself towards his fans, his morals, and his behavior. You have that. But then you have me being the uncensored and authentic, arrogant snob, which, again, for those who know the real me, know I can be arrogant and cocky, like my other favorite wrestler, Edge. So yeah, gimmicks are a huge thing for wrestlers and shouldn't be taken lightly. It makes you, and it creates your presence, and for many, it stays with them forever. I mean, look at me. I ain't going nowhere. And if people don't like Priest, that's their problem. Here at the Sleeper Hold Podcast, we strongly believe in helping others. Therefore, we have decided to feature a charity every quarter that we are supporting and invite you to support as well. Following his induction into this year's WWE Hall of Fame, we have decided to make our first charity, Connor's Cure. Head on over to our website at thesleeperhold.com and click on Connor's Cure on the right side of the page for more information. Y'all right. So you have your gimmick. You figured out an empowering entrance theme. So what's next? Hmm. Well, you might want to look the part, right? I mean, if you're going to look like an intimidating guy or something like that, it probably means that your gimmick should be intimidating and not be like a Poindexter nerd. They don't really work well together. So moving from the headlock and going off the ropes, we're going to clothesline the next topic, which is all about the attire. Okay, attire simply boils down to how the wrestler presents themselves. Yes, I know we just said gimmick is about presenting yourself as well, but gimmick's more personality. Attire, we're talking about the physical. Long gone are the days of just unitard, spandex, and what looks like they pretty much are just wearing their underwear. Granted, some people still wear this, but wrestling world has become more accepting of various attire styles and more unique flares. You have people in jeans, shorts, latex, the list goes on. Some even wear masks or face paint. All this, every little bit, every detail is considered part of their attire 
and it comes in usually two forms. There's the attire they're going to wrestle in, or ring attire. Then there is the entrance attire, which may be anything that goes with the ring attire that they're going to take off before fighting. For some people, this may be a necklace, a hat, whatever. Think of John Cena before he became who we have now, when he was the doctor of thugonomics. He had a big old chain necklace that had a padlock. He wasn't going to use that when he was wrestling. I mean, he may use it in a match to be a dirty fighter, but he wasn't going to have it worn the whole time. No, he took it off. Nowadays, he does a similar thing, but he has dog tags. It's called entrance attire, not ring attire, because you don't want anything to happen to that, or it's just not going to be part of what they'll allow. All right. So we got the whole thing of what those two are like, but for some details, let's go this way. Some people, you know, we have them also with objects as part of their attire. Look at Seamus. Right now, he has in his attire, including the Money in the Bank briefcase. And using Seamus still, attire also includes your hairstyle and facial hair, if you have any. You know, how you keep it groomed, how you keep it designed, um, how your hair is cut. The attire is a huge complement to the gimmick. Even though not all the wrestlers go all out with their look, it's still important. I mean, let's go with the simple one first. We got Randy Orton, who wears what looks just like the the classic underwear look to the ring. I know there's a technical term for it, and I just can't think of it right now, but we're going to jokingly call it the underwear look. But he has the iconic design on the sides, and I believe it says Orton on the across the butt cheeks. That's so you know it, you recognize it, you realize right away, hey, that's Randy Orton. So, let's play a little game here, okay? And we'll see if we can figure out who I'm referring to. And this will kind of show you the importance of attire and how it connects and associates. So, for the first one, you have a tall man who comes out nearly in all black, a trench coat or some type of coat, gloves, and a black felt hat. You think you got that one? Okay, what if I said that our next guy comes out in black and pink, wearing glossed pink shades, and has four pink hearts on the leg of his black pants? Or what about the wrestler that is a luchador that usually wears just sky blue and gold pants that have a cross design on them, and he has a signature full mask to match the pants? All right, Let's do uh, one more here. A man who is iconically known to wear black and white with a scorpion icon, wears a trench coat while wielding a black baseball bat and donning the iconic black and white face paint that people nowadays know him for. If you said, in order, The Undertaker, Bret Hart, Sin Cara, and Sting, then you can tell right away what I'm talking about. Sin Cara, yeah, you might be able to switch up with Kalisto if you really wanted to, because they do wear similar attire, but we're going for Sin Cara there. Unfortunately, for me, I haven't gotten my attire completed, but I am working on it even though I'm not actively at ringside currently. I am still in the wrestling ring world and still active to help out and everything else, plus with the podcast, so yes, I'm still priest. I'm still going to go out in what attire I do have. So, 
what do I have the people know me for? Well, I do have the chains I wear on my pant loops. So, yeah, sure, there's that. Do I always wear them, though? No, it depends on certain days or certain type of theme I'm going for. If I'm going more street-like or professional or whatever. Is it going to be part of the final tire? Yeah, better believe it. That's definitely my personality. But mainly what people recognize is, first of all, my fedora. I have a houndstooth fedora. I will wear it. And eventually I'm going to have other fedoras, but the fedora is always something that is with me. The other thing is the black face paint that has a few consistencies while still lightly changing a few things here and there at times depending on what I'm going for or what I want to do. So why do I do the face paint besides that it looks cool, of course? Well, it sets the mood and mentally it kind of helps me get into that right mindset of who I am. It also sets the motion of having my fans, my fallen angels as I've always called them, connect with priest so as you can see a costume can speak volumes to those around you the attire can leave a memorable mark to where they may even recognize you outside of the show which i have had happen and it absolutely rocks what also rocks is because of the face paint i've had people even wrestlers not recognize me when I'm walking right past them until they get a chance to get a good laugh at me and go, oh, hey, you're a priest. And it's like, that's awesome that I kind of can do that. Just saying. All right. So we have covered a lot of ground by talking about the importance of the gimmick, the entrance, and the attire. But you can have all this and still flop at a show if you don't have one important thing prepared. You have to be one key factor, and that's going to be what we're going to spear right into, which is having the right mentality. I truly believe that wrestling is about 35% athletics, 25% personality and heart, and 40% mentality i may have a lot of people argue this with me and more likely i will find out when i talk to guy smith because i will have him as a guest and i'm definitely going to throw this at him since he's a trainer but if you don't have yourself mentally into the game mentally into the gimmick the character the ring and the show then the fans are going to see right through you right away you have to enter that headspace that is your own world So, how do you do this? Well, first of all, it's different for each person. Some people I know have to be left alone and isolated for a little bit before the show. Others can just turn it over like a switch. Me, personally, I've gotten better about being able to just turn it over like a switch. But if you really want to know the secret, I pop in my earbuds. I play some specific songs and sometimes do my own little moving around to get the blood flowing, some shadow boxing, whatever. That gets that adrenaline going, that blood flowing. And there you go. You have the person you all know and love, Priest. But it's all about getting yourself into that special place to let yourself shine and become who you desire for the world to see. Unlike the other things in this podcast episode, it's not something that can easily be trained. It's something that you have to acquire on your own. 
and it's not something I'm going to go too far into detail with on what it takes, as there's really not much I can say that's very unique for each person, and something that you can share for the same person to do that the person right next to them can do. It's got to be their own unique thing to get into that mindset. It's different for each and every person, like I said before. So I'm not going to try to speak for someone else. I'm not going to try to tell you what Guy Smith does or what Randy Orton does or Seamus or even, you know, again, going back to local people, I'm not going to try to tell you what Derek Moss does to get him to that headspace. I'm not psychic. I may act like it just to be a pain in the butt. I may even say I'm psycho. I mean psychic. But, yeah, that was an intentional joke. So please, just bear with me here. I'm in a fun mood. But if you want to find out really what they do, maybe just go ask some of your local wrestlers. They each have their own unique technique to make it all happen. They have their own methods and their own motivation of what they do and why they do it or why they're there. It could be really fascinating. Trust me. Alright guys, so we've covered a lot. But I'm going to try to wrap this up with something that I feel is also very important but is more behind the curtain than almost anything else that we've talked about. Before you even get into the ring to train, to perform, to entertain, there are certain details that have to be addressed and taken care of to protect you and the company you're going to be working with. Like the late, great Roddy Piper, we are going to finish this off by applying the sleeper hold onto the final topic of the night, the legalities. There are a lot of legal steps that go with a wrestling company and its talent. There are some things we are not going to cover on here, but I at least want to scratch on the surface and talk about a few things that I feel need to be brought out to the fans. First of all, when you work for a company, you are pretty much guaranteed to fill out, you know, a lot of paperwork that all compile to a legal contract. In the contract, you are more likely going to have an outline of disciplinary actions that can be held against you if you disobey, mess up, or cause serious harm or danger against you or your peers. Again, these people that are your peers are people that you're going to be working together with to bring something awesome for you, as well as tell a story that's going to be awesome for you and your fans. These disciplinary actions can sometimes be like a fine. They can be a humbling match, and even possibly, depending on the severity, they can lead to suspension or even termination. The thing is, like any business, if you mess up, you may have to be held responsible. And speaking of being held responsible, another legal document that may be part of the contract for many independent companies is a liability waiver. What this does is pretty much state that if the talent that signed the contract does get hurt, they cannot hold the company or other talent responsible for the injuries that are sustained. And I can see why this is there, but it's got to be really careful how it's worded because what if the injuries are not due to the match that was established, but possibly from a fan or if the ring was not properly set up and caused harm? Or what if the company owned the building and something falls apart and harms them or some type of 
electrical shortage happens with the lighting system and it somehow shocks them really bad. See how this can be very tricky and needs to be worked out with? So liabilities are something to read carefully and make sure you fully understand. Along with that, I want to talk about the contract as a whole. Again, read it carefully. Most contracts will lay out specific details about what is expected out of the talent and if you are going to be paid or whatever, yada, yada, yada. In the WWE, though, they are not only going to explain the pay, but how many nights out of the year that they expect you to wrestle and sometimes even specific matches that are planned out to happen. The reason I mention read the contract carefully is not to mess with the companies out there, but to give some key things that I want you to be aware of and watch out for so make sure that you have complete clarification and understanding over. So, for example, something that you need to definitely look out for is something like a non-compete clause, which prevents you from working anywhere else. It's one thing if they say, hey, your home venue is with our company. Just realize that if you sign up for more than one home venue, you're leading yourself into a huge legal mess. That's right, legal. Contracts are legally binding. If you aren't sure about this, you can always ask before signing. If they mean home venue is just where you are known to be mainly wrestling at, and that's a non-compete clause, or if that's what they're trying to aim as a non-compete clause, get clarification. Now, back when I had my company, we had a part of our contract where they would sign with us, saying that if they wanted to, they could have us be their home venue, and we'll help promote them and work with them to make sure they excelled as much as possible, but they had to remember that our shows were priority. If they wanted to wrestle anywhere else, they just had to check with us and make sure it didn't cause any conflicts, or even if there was something that we had them booked for, if it was pretty much, pretty much, you know, any time ahead of schedule, like a pretty like month or so or however long, we might be able to work something out to help them out, especially if it was something like a charity event. Along with that, we were focused on trying to promote them and help them get as much exposure as possible even with the other companies. It's all about how it's written and what exactly those words are saying and meaning inside that contract. Always be careful with the contract. Go over it almost like a fine-tooth comb if you need to and make sure it's clear without any confusion. I could be wrong, but I believe that if you inquire and are given inaccurate and misleading information from a company that you're signing up with, I believe there is actual legal action that can be taken against them as well. I'd have to look into it, but I don't know. Overall, though, contracts are there to make a clear and understanding definition for you and the business as well as protect you and the company at the same time. Alright, so there's everything I can think of for today's episode. We have covered a lot in this episode, and in two weeks, we are going to continue the series and talk about something that Bobby Heenan, Roddy Piper, Ric Flair, Jimmy Hart, and Chris Jericho are all greatly known for. Promos! Until then, be safe, watch your bumps, 
and enjoy SummerSlam. Thank you for listening to the Sleeper Holt Podcast. Don't forget to visit our website at thesleeperhold.com to comment on episodes, read our blog, for information about the quarterly charity, and more. See you in two weeks.